It's Friday, February 3rd, 2023. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, scientists have uncovered a new form of ice. Plus, James Cameron hired a forensics team and some stunt performers to answer once and for all whether there was enough room for Jack on that door. And the podcaster who invented a new kind of pasta is back again with two rare pasta types. Here's some cool stuff for your ride home. Well, as a polar vortex plunges the northeastern U.S. into record-breaking wind-chilled temperatures this weekend, I thought I'd cover a couple of chilly ice stories for you. Plus, one about pasta to warm you up. So first, a team of scientists accidentally discovered a previously unknown form of ice, and it could exist in other far-flung locations throughout the universe. So for some background to get us started, I'm going to quote at length here from the New York Times so I don't get this wrong. Quote, In day-to-day life, we encounter three forms of water, a vaporous gas like steam, flowing liquid water, and hard, slippery ice. The ice of our everyday lives consists of water molecules lined up in a hexagonal pattern, and those hexagonal lattices neatly stack on top of each other. The hexagonal structure is not tightly packed, which is why ice is less dense than liquid water and floats. With permutations of temperature and pressure outside what generally occurs on Earth, water molecules can be pushed into other crystal structures. Scientists now know of 20 crystalline forms of water. The 20th form of ice was discovered last year. In addition, researchers also have documented two types of ice with jumbled molecules, what they call amorphous materials. Because one of the amorphous ices is denser than water, it's known as high-density amorphous ice. The other, with a density less than that of water, is low-density amorphous ice. Amorphous ices are not found on Earth, but they could be prevalent in outer space, in comets, interstellar clouds, and icy worlds like Europa, a moon of Jupiter. There's even a type of water that is both liquid and solid. In 2018, scientists announced the creation of superionic water, which was simultaneously solid and liquid. End quote. Now, like I said, this team, who published their findings yesterday in the journal Science, weren't setting out to discover a new form of ice. They were trying to study ice crystals, very small ice crystals, with the expectation that sometimes the properties of things in smaller sizes are different than bigger chunks of the same thing. So they had to break some ordinary ice up into smaller chunks. And they did this by chilling water ice in liquid nitrogen down to negative 300 20 degrees Fahrenheit. Then, that super-chilled water ice went into a container with small steel balls. The container went into a machine that shook the ice and steel balls super fast, back and forth 20 times a second, to break up the ice into absolutely minuscule pieces, creating a shear force, S-H-E-A-R. That tool is called a ball mill, and it's usually used to grind or blend materials in mineral processing. But when they opened up the container, the ice had changed. Using X-ray diffraction, the team ascertained that the ice was denser and that the crystalline structure had turned into an amorphous one. Essentially, that shaking with the steel balls was a strong enough force to knock the water molecules out of the crystal formation. 
And even though it was now amorphous instead of crystalline, the density did not match the existing amorphous ices. As the Times explained, you have the high-density amorphous ice, which is denser than liquid water, and then there's low-density amorphous ice, which is less dense than liquid water. This ice the team encountered had almost the exact same density as liquid water. Therefore, it got the name medium-density amorphous ice, or MDA for short. Although, quoting again from the Times, that medium-density amorphous ice has almost the same density as liquid water raises the possibility it's actually a glass, a liquid cacophony of molecules flowing until it cooled and slowed and froze in time without crystallizing, still disordered. End quote. Follow-up studies are being done as scientists try to confirm if this MDA is what it appears to be and therefore adds a whole new category to a long-held model. Marius Malo, a physicist at the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory, told Nature, quote, This is a great example of how we still have things to understand with water. End quote. Indeed, and some of the things we're still learning about water relates to our exploration of other planets and their moons. Of particular interest off the back of this finding is the icy surface of Europa. The temperatures used in the experiment match the range of temperatures on Europa, and quoting nature, if two icy areas on such a moon were to rub together because of tidal forces exerted by Jupiter, they could produce medium-density amorphous ice between them through the same shearing process that the researchers used, end quote. Relatedly, the team found that when you compress MDA and then release the pressure and heat it, instead of returning to how it was before, like most materials do, MDA releases a huge burst of energy energy that could trigger ice quakes. Quoting the Times, that means perhaps the physics of the new ice could play a role in the shaping of the icy crust of Europa and the dynamics of ice farther down in the moon's ocean, with implications for whether conditions there could be hospitable for life. End quote. Who knew there were still so many mysteries to water itself? To get people pumped for the theatrical release of the 4K remastered 25th anniversary edition of Titanic later this month, National Geographic has put together a TV special called Titanic 25 Years Later with James Cameron. The movie is being released back in theaters on February 10th. The National Geographic special will air on Sunday the 5th. And the special has been making headlines because of a preview of it that revealed, in the special, James Cameron will be testing once and for all whether Jack really could have fit on that door. Now, I don't know that I should have to give a spoiler warning for one of the biggest movies of all time that is explicitly celebrating its 25th anniversary, but if you're precious about that sort of thing, this is your warning. Skip to the next segment now. So, the now infamous door is the makeshift raft that Jack and Rose use to escape the sinking steamship. Rose manages to stay afloat on the raft long enough to make it to safety and survives the disaster, living on to recount the tale to researchers 84 years later. Jack, however, only manages to cling to the edge of the door. Most of his body is still submerged in the icy waters. He succumbs to hypothermia and sinks away beneath the water. 
Fans have long alleged that there was plenty of room on the door for both of them. The Mythbusters even put it to the test back in 2012 and determined that, yes, Jack could have fit on the door. James Cameron, appearing in that episode, disagreed, as he has consistently over the decades. He says the point of the story was that Jack had to die. Now, Cameron did cop in that old Mythbusters episode that maybe we messed up and the board should have been a little smaller. But Jack had to die for the story. Leonardo DiCaprio, for his part, has usually said no comment when asked. Kate Winslet, on the other hand, has frequently said she'd be interested in having the debate. I recently watched an episode of The Graham Norton Show that she appeared on, which showed a behind-the-scenes photo from Titanic. And the point of showing it wasn't even to ignite the door debate. It was talking about how many hours Winslet has spent filming underwater on various films and the records that she's broken. But as was quite clear and pointed out by Jack Whitehall, in that photo, not only was the door big enough for DiCaprio's character Jack to lean onto, but Cameron himself was leaning on the door while he directed them. That's three people on the door. But as Winslet and Cameron have both pointed out over the years, it's not just about whether the two or more people could fit on the door. It's whether they could stay afloat and survive the deathly cold water long enough to be rescued. So, for the National Geographic special, Cameron got a team together to test the theories even more rigorously than the Mythbusters did 10 years ago. He told the Toronto Sun, quote, We've done a scientific study to put this whole thing to rest and drive a stake through its heart once and for all. We have done a thorough forensic analysis with a hypothermia expert who reproduced the raft from the movie. We took two stunt people who were the same body mass of Kate and Leo, and we put sensors all over them and inside them, and we put them in ice water, and we tested to see whether they could have survived through a variety of methods. End quote. Good Morning America has shared a preview of the special, which shows the two stunt people in replicas of the costumes from the movie, Kate with the life jacket on, Jack without it, and they tested four different scenarios. In one, they're both able to get their upper bodies on the raft, out of the water, and even Cameron concedes that Jack might have been able to make it a few hours that way. But one of the final tests that they did in the experiment, something the Mythbusters did not do, is that they made the stunt people exhaust themselves physically in the exact same way that Kate and Leo would have been after their long escape from the ship. They also had Kate put her life jacket onto Jack to help insulate him, and in that scenario, even with the physical exhaustion, Cameron admits that Jack might have lived. But, he says, there are still a lot of other variables. Plus, we're talking about two people who were mentally exhausted as well as physically. They may not have thought to arrange themselves exactly so on the door to help them both stay afloat, or thought for Rose to share her life jacket to keep Jack warm or to tie it to the bottom of the door and give it extra buoyancy, as the Mythbusters did. And all of those sorts of hacks that could make it work miss the point, says Cameron. In the narrative, not only would these two likely not have considered some of those techniques, Jack wouldn't have allowed them. There's no way he would have taken the life jacket from Rose. As Cameron says, he wouldn't have done anything to jeopardize Rose's survival. We're talking about a love story here. And especially for that era, Jack essentially sacrificing himself to ensure Rose has the best chance of living is pretty dang realistic.
So again, to the question, was there room on the door for both of them? Yeah, basically. But could they both have survived? That is not as certain. In 2018, Dan Pashman, host of the podcast The Sporkful, embarked on a mission to create an all-new pasta shape. The now award-winning series based on his journey was released in 2021 and called Mission Impostable. And the pasta shape that he legitimately ended up creating is called Cascatelli. And the pasta itself proved to be just as big a hit as the podcast series. And now Pashman is back with not one, but two additional pasta shapes. Joining Cascatelli are Vesuvio and Quattrotini. Now, these weren't actually created by Pashman, but they are really tough to find in the United States. So Pashman teamed up with Sfolini, the artisan pasta company he partnered with to distribute Cascatelli, to bring these two rare shapes to market. Vice described the two pasta shapes better than I ever could. Quote, Quattrotini, based on Sicily's Cinquebuchi shape, is a Sicilian shape involving four tubes connected by a rectangle. It makes sense when you see it, and is manufactured and served only in Italy for one week a year. Vesuvio is the pasta incarnation of a coiled bike tire tube that has become a hat, or a volcano, hence the name, end quote. Pashman picked these rare pasta shapes using the same rubric that he applied to creating his own, which was, quoting again from Vice, forkability, how well it stays on a fork, sauceability, how well it holds sauce, and tooth sinkability, how pleasurable it is to bite and chew, end quote. Both Vesuvio and Quattrotini meet the mark on each point, but Pashman admits that due to how rare it is and supply chain issues of various sorts, he actually had to commit to Quattrotini without having tried it. And the whole process of securing rare pasta shapes to sell is a lot more complex than you might imagine. Sfellini partners with a dye maker in Brooklyn to get custom bronze dyes for all the weird shapes of pasta that they sell. And once you realize how complex even this process is, you start understanding how someone could take three plus years and film multiple podcast episodes about his quest to create a whole new pasta shape, not just bring a rare one to new markets. Now, I won't get into the whole journey of Cascatelli today, link in the show notes to the series if you want to listen, but I will say that I know several people who have tried Cascatelli and been pleasantly surprised just how good it is. It's shaped sort of like a curl with two ruffled edges on top creating a sauce trough, functionally not unlike the syrup troughs in a waffle. And it's not just fans of the podcast who've enjoyed it. The creation won Pashman the James Beard Award twice. So dude has come to know his pasta, and if you too are intrigued by interesting and rare pasta shapes, I would trust his taste for picking out these two new rare types to try. Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania hits theaters February 17th, and to drum up excitement and make even more money, Marvel is selling an in-universe prop from the movie. It's not Ant-Man's helmet or some figment from the quantum realm, but a book 
written by Ant-Man, a.k.a. Scott Lang. I guess Lang is cashing in on his Avengers fame in the latest movie and published a book called Look Out for the Little Guy. The 256-page memoir is available for pre-order now on Amazon, and what's great is that all of the marketing is completely in-universe. There's a blurb on the book from Bruce Banner, and the author on the Amazon page is listed as Scott Lang. His bio even reads, quote, Scott Lang is a scientist and inventor with a master's degree in electrical engineering. He has been an ice cream scooper, a corporate whistleblower, a consultant for the Pim Van Dyne Foundation, and an Avenger. He lives in San Francisco. End quote. I am a sucker for this kind of never-breaking-the-fourth-wall-committing-to-the-bit-in-universe kind of stuff, so even though I'm not going to buy it and I don't know when I'll make it out to the movie, I absolutely love that this exists. This is the exact kind of humor that I appreciate in these movies. But that is going to be it for me for this week. This show was produced by Ride Home Media. I'm Jackson Bird, and I'll talk to you again on Monday. Have a great weekend.